You're listening to the private podcast for The Matrix with Amber Smith. Welcome. Okay, so we're talking about consultations and the leading energy. My heart is racing. I was just talking about how we get to embody our message and the things that we have to teach our clients often like we have to go through an experience to really teach it. Yeah. Well, my heart's racing because I'm emotional. My grandpa died this morning. It's okay. He was very sick for a long time. Oh, yeah. I'm like, my heart's like pounding. Or like early this morning. So I got a call really early this morning and I've been kind of processing on my own and talked to my mom because it's her mom's husband that died. So he's like my step grandpa. And what was on my mind today was like being the leading energy. And so I had the chance to like really process some of the things that had been on my mind to talk to you guys about, which is perfect in real time. And so one of the things that I wanted to talk about today was being the leading energy and what that means. I'm going to talk about like the three identities that we have as coaches, because I think it's important to know you're going to have human experiences as you grow your business, right? Like as you're coaching, as you're marketing, as you're trying to do things as an entrepreneur and your human life doesn't stop. When I think about the leading energy, to me, it means that I have my own emotions, but I'm able to show up powerfully and lead someone else through their own emotions and their processes as a coach. And so there's three identities that we have, right? We have the human identity, which is like all the stuff that's going on in our personal lives, (laughs) all the mind drama, all the business drama, all the money drama, all the relationship drama that we ourselves experience. And then we have the entrepreneur and the entrepreneur in us is like the one that's invested in growth and marketing and consults, which we're going to talk about today. And all the things that the business needs, the entrepreneur in us focuses on that. And then we have the coach, which is the person that we're invested in our clients. We're thinking about them and what they need. When I think about being the leading energy, it means I'm focused on my client. I'm being the coach. And so for me today, just to give you a little like glimpse of what that looked like, it meant being emotional this morning. I had to talk to my daughters who loved him and kind of grieve. And my grandma is grieving and there's a lot of personal stuff. And I even questioned, like, should I have this call? And I checked in with my body and it felt good. And I was like, this is going to be even more powerful because I'm like living and breathing what I'm teaching today. Right now I'm being the coach. And so it doesn't mean that like we gaslight the human. It means that we honor the human. It's just what is important to bring now has to do with the presence of now. For me, I've always been able to lead myself through hard things in my business because it's not that I don't care about my human side. Doesn't mean that my emotions don't matter. Doesn't mean they're not valid and real. It means I know how to summon this leading energy when I need to. And I think that's important, especially for consults, because on a consult, it's like the meeting place of the entrepreneur, human, and coach, right? You're trying to help the client, but you're also kind of hoping that they sign. And you have your own mind drama about making money or being worthy or whatever. And so sometimes consultations can make us feel things. Sometimes not. I think it depends on how many you've done. I've done so many consults that it's almost non-emotional for me. Not that I don't care. It's just you kind of get used to like the rising whole, the flow of the conversation and then their experience. But I think if you're newer to doing consultations, it can feel really intimidating because all three of your identities are meeting. The human, the entrepreneur, and the coach. When I think about this, Really, it's just reminding yourself who's leading, right? It's the coach that's leading, not the entrepreneur, because then we feel graspy, and not the human, because then we make it mean something about when they hire us or not. And so we almost put the coach hat on 
and I'm here to serve. I'm here to be with my client. And when we think about that, we have the framework for how we run a consult. If we're being the leading energy, if we don't, and I'm going to go through some of what I call the consult commitments when we talk about needing nothing, which is something we started the program with, right? My human has needs. And this is why we want the coach to lead in the consult, the coach identity, the entrepreneur identity, not the human identity. When I'm a coach, I need nothing. I'm here as a guide, as a support, almost like a flashlight. I'm shining light on their consciousness, on what they're thinking about so that they can make different choices. Has nothing to do with me. When you approach a consult from that way, it's almost like you're just a cog in the wheel. It's not about you. It's about you playing a role in your client's life. They're the main character and you are a supporting character in their movie. And when I remember that, I'm like, it just takes the pressure off. I'm like, this movie isn't about me because that's the human part of me. That's the entrepreneur part of me. And that does not serve well when I'm trying to have someone, you're the guy, not the hero. They're the hero. In my personal life, I'm the main character. When I'm a human, I have my own emotions and my own desires and dreams. But when I'm on a consult, it's all about their desires and their dreams. When I think about leading energy, it's not that we gaslight ourselves where we're like, I don't really want money. I don't really care about growing. It's like, of course you do. Of course you care about money. Of course you want to grow your business. And we can honor that separate from when you're on a call. On the call, my only job is to be the guide, the coach, and care for my client. Clean energy. And so when I think about it that way, Rich Lippman talks about this idea of the default future versus a possible future. That is where my mind goes. I'm like, what is possible for them? Where are they going to get stuck? What do they actually want? What are the things that they're afraid to tell me? What are the things that they're afraid to tell anyone in their life? Because there's things that they will only tell you. Not because it's like special. It's just like that's the role you play, right? Like you protect what they really want with them. It's a safe place to share what they really want. And so when I think about that, it's an honor. Like, it's super cool that we get to play this role in their life. And I take it really seriously. But it's also not about me. It's about what they want and what they're struggling with. And so the more I can stay in my lane of coach and the less I need entrepreneur human, I'm focused, I'm here to serve. It just goes so much better. You'll be inspired with questions. It's just so much better. And so I want to talk about what I call like the consult commitments not rules. This is how you should do a consult. These are my thoughts that have deeply served me in running a consult. And you can substitute, if you don't use the word consult, you can use a different word. Maybe it's like a free coaching call, a mini session, an introduction call, audit, whatever. But really it's like the first time you're talking to someone who's interested in working with you, however you want to call it. Number one is to need nothing. This isn't about us. When I notice I'm feeling a little maybe attached. I am worried they're going to say no. When my mind starts to do that, I just remind myself, I need nothing. This isn't about me. I learned this from Rich Litvin. He's like, the best tool that a coach has is to bite their tongue. And I laughed because I was like, that is so true. Sometimes we want to jump in and say something. But I think some of the most powerful things we can do is to like actually not talk. And so when I notice that I'm nervous or attached, I gently just bite my tongue. And then I repeat those words, this isn't about me. And I sink into my body so that I can get present and be the coach and not try to make a sale. Well, we're going to talk about that. Number two is to open a relationship instead of closing the sale. When I look at it that way, all the pressure is off because I know how to build relationships. I know how to be kind. I know how to coach. I know how to show people their mind and their thinking. 
This isn't about me closing the sale. And the reason that I love looking at it this way is because I've had people who are a no for now. We're going to talk about the no for now versus the heck yes. When people are a no for now, the way that you leave a conversation is like, you can still come back if that ever changes. If you ever want to work together, if you ever create the money that it makes sense to do that, or if you change your mind or whatever, the door is still open. Because if I approach the console like I'm here to close the sale and then I don't, it feels really awkward for people to come back and they often won't because it was kind of like, well, we decided not to work together, period. I think when we think about opening the relationship and you're not afraid of talking very directly about the money, what it's going to be, what's next, all those things, you're looking at it as this is the beginning of a longer term relationship. I think it just feels better on our end, also on their end. They're like, oh, like this person is someone I can come back to in the future. I've had that happen where people are like, I don't have the time right now, or I don't have the money right now. I'm like, that's okay. I just like to call that a no for now. And one of the things that I think it leads to number three is leave things in the context of possibility, not affordability. So I learned that from Steve Chandler. And the idea is some people are going to think you're expensive no matter what you charge. And instead of being like, well, you can't afford it, period. Hopefully you have a good life. See you later. It's getting back into the possibility of the bigger picture of what they really want, of what it would be like if they were really working towards the things that they want. Because sometimes I think our clients feel pretty defeated if they're like, well, I can't work with you right now. So you've told me that my dreams are possible. But like, I don't know how to reach them and I can't work with you. That's frustrating. I feel stuck. They might not be able to articulate it. Maybe they can. But I think our role as a coach is to get them back into possibility before the conversation is over. This is why I like to bring up my price and how it looks to work with me about with 15 minutes left in the call or more so that we're not shying away from it. When I was a new coach, some of my consults were very cringeworthy. <laughs> I would talk to them for the full hour and just coach my heart out and serve them. And then they were like, what does it look like to work with you? And I'm like, oh, well, like, this is the price. This is what it looks like. And like, oh, okay. I'm like, yeah, okay, well, have a good day. You know, let me know if you're interested. Like that kind of awkward end. And it just showed me where I wasn't leading. I was nervous to have that conversation. And so are they. They're nervous too. We can't both be in the same nervous energy and like create a productive conversation. So my role, and I argue our role as coaches, is to really go back into the leading and not shying away from the price, not shying away from their fear or their doubt, but instead like diving right into it. I think that it shows them that they can bring anything to you, even their fear and doubt about you. And I think that that's okay. If you've done the work and you know what you can do and you believe in coaching and you believe you have a good heart, which you, you're here, I think it's our responsibility to be okay with people questioning that so that you can help them believe that it can be possible, that working with you gets them closer to what they want. That's what they want to feel. They want to know working with you gets me closer to what I want. And if they have doubts about that, me Brushing that aside or like not really wanting to talk about does not help them believe more. It leaves that door open where they still have questions. They're still wondering. So what I like to do is just be really available for whatever questions they have because I don't need anything. I have nothing to prove. I'm not trying to prove myself. I'm trying to be a resource for them. And if I really believe I am a resource, it's okay if they have questions about our work together. Number four is to hold nothing back. Rich Levin says, say what others will not dare to say. And I think that that's a very appropriate thing for a coach to do. And I think this goes both ways, both where they're getting stuck with their own thinking and beliefs, but also what you see as possible. 
not a lot of people breathe possibility into other people, but coaches do. And so one of the things that I like to do is like really tell them like, this is what I see as possible for you. And can I guarantee it? I don't know. It depends on the work that you're able to do. But given your track record, given what you've told me, given what you said about what you really want and your willingness to challenge your beliefs, this is what I see as possible for you. And I've said things to people that made them emotional because they had that desire inside. They just have never been able to articulate it or have someone able to hold it with them. I think it's actually a really underrated role that we play as coaches is I can hold the vision with you. I see this as possible. And I'm not just saying that to get you to buy because that's not my purpose. My purpose is to show you what I see. And so if this was really possible for you, what would that be like for you? And put it back on them and help them paint the picture back into that context of possibility versus default. That's something that I always you know, draw it because in the book, it's just really clear to see, right? If they do nothing, this is their default future. If you want to take like a step deeper, do this for yourself. What is your client's default future if they do nothing? And maybe it's not bad, but it's not great. That's kind of the realm that I coach in. Things aren't bad, but it could be great. Some of you are coaching, like if they do nothing, things can be very bad and they need to know that. And they probably do know that, but helping them shine a light right on it helps them take ownership of if they change nothing. And then there's this possible future, which is like what we are fighting for. It takes a level of consciousness. It takes commitment. It takes desire. It takes follow through. All the things that we help our clients do. And so for me, I'm making a case not just for coaching, but for commitment, follow through, challenging beliefs. And then I show them that all of that exists in this coaching container. If it was easy, if it was the way that we naturally thought, we would do it without support. But most of our clients have a history of getting no support and they have what they have. And we can show them that with love, without judgment. And I think that alone is very powerful for people to see. It's like, of course I am where I am. I've been thinking this way my whole life. Like, of course I ended up here. Or I have these things that I know I'm stuck in. And in order to change that, it is going to take a different level of consciousness and support and accountability and people seeing my blind spots, people holding the vision with me. And when they see it, you don't even have to sell them. They get it. They're like, I see it. If I don't do anything, this is where I'm going to end up. So I have to take steps. And what I like to say is like, even if it's not with me, right, you know what you need to do. And part of that is going to be challenging your limiting beliefs about blank. It's going to be processing your emotions along the way because it's not a walk in the park. It's going to be about learning skills and tools. And you don't need me, but these are the things that you do need. This is where it fits into my package with you. For the console commitments, we need nothing. We open a relationship instead of closing a sale. We talk in the context of possibility, not affordability. We hold nothing back because that is the role that we play in our clients' lives. It's such a gift that we get to play that role. And then number five is clear next steps. This is kind of what I was alluding to earlier where I wouldn't have a, a clear next steps. And I like to operate from it's a heck yes or a no for now. That's kind of the wording that I use pulled right from the prosperous coach. But it works really well because I think it gives them the space to like, if they're not a heck yes right now, that's okay. We're just calling that a no for now. And then what I like to think through is what will you or won't you do after the call? For example, this is not what I think everyone should do. This is just what feels good to me. I say things like, I'm not the kind of person, like I'm not going to schedule a follow-up call. I trust you. If it's a no for now, that's totally okay. 
If you ever change your mind, just shoot me an email. You know where to find me. I have clients that they really resonate with following up. And I wanted to talk about that because I don't think there's like a morally right or a morally wrong way to have the relationship after the consult. So if my client is a no for now, I basically say, I'm going to send you an email with some of my thoughts from today. But like, you don't have to worry about me like checking in or following up. But if you ever change your mind, please reach out to me. That's kind of how I end it. But I do have clients that are like, I will follow up with you in a week to see what you're thinking and answer any questions. And that feels really good to them. Basically, for me, the next steps is what will you or won't you be doing in the next few days or weeks following call? If they're a yes, I like to schedule the call. Like, when's our first call going to be? That's kind of how I like to do it. Um, and then I let them know that I'll be sending them the invoice that they should pay before our first call. The other things is like, tell them what to expect. So one of the things that I like to talk about is like, yeah, you're going to feel nervous. That's okay. What I like to look for is like, does this feel like a stretch? Does this feel expansive? And that doesn't mean comfortable. It shouldn't feel comfortable or else you know that you're doing the same thing over and over again. So it should feel a little bit uncomfortable. What I don't want it to feel like is unsafe. And that's kind of my process for people. I'm not interested in making you feel triggered by working with me. I don't want it to feel like such an expansive growth opportunity that you're like breathing heavy and like worried day and night. That's not my goal. And so I'm looking for like the growth zone, discomfort, but still safe. And if we're in there, moving forward is probably a good idea. If it feels unsafe, let me know. And it's probably just for now and that's okay. I kind of like to walk them through what the process is like after. Those are the five consult commitments that I think through. Need nothing. And that's like an inner work thing, right? We're always doing the work so that we can come with something to give instead of something to take. Open the relationship instead of closing the sale. Talk about the context of possibility instead of affordability. Hold nothing back and then provide clear next steps. If I do those five things, I can feel good about the consult. One of the things I wrote down in my notes is like, Getting no's is part of the process. I can give my all. I can be the best coach in the world and still get no's. So I'm not afraid of no's. That's part of the process. In fact, one of the things that I think is very valuable is to track your consults and like notice how many no's you get. If I'm not getting no's, I'm also not getting yeses because it means I'm not having consults. So just know that there's going to be a percentage of people that no matter how good you are, no matter how cheap you are, it won't matter. They'll still say no. And so when I get a no, I really don't make it mean much except that I'm playing the game of coaching. I'm playing the game of growing my business. And so I don't try to avoid no's because if I avoid no's, I avoid yeses. So I want to be in conversations, which leads us into the next phase of today. Have more conversations and consult calls. <laughs> it's like the title of my next piece. Because I'm going to tell you what I would do if I started from zero. If I started from nothing, I know exactly how I build my coaching business out from the ground. I would have these free calls that I would change the name of. And some of you already talked about this as a strategy. I would change the name of this free call. So it wouldn't be a consult. It would be like a mindset breakthrough intensive. It would be a future self-activation call. I did this a few months ago. I called it a level 10 opportunity call where it was just 30 minutes and I was helping coaches identify their level 10 opportunity if they felt like a level 10 coach. Something that's very valuable that gives them the experience of what it would be like. I would do as many of these calls as I could to get experience, to make connections, to serve people. A handful of those people would want to know about coaching with me. Some of them wouldn't and that would be okay. And then I would mix it up between those types of calls and pure consultation calls. I would do way more of the value calls. I would fill my calendar with as many conversations as I could. Because I know there's only one thing I've ever created a one-on-one -on -one client from, and it's talking to them. 
And this is the uncomfortable part about growing a business because it's more risky, right? It's less risky to post on social media than it is to have a conversation with a real person or invite them to a conversation with you. It's way easier to work on a blog post or record a videos or tweak your website copy or whatever. I've done it all. So like this isn't coming from a place of judgment. This is like really coming from a place of observation. It's way riskier to actually have real conversations or to invite people to conversations. And that's why we don't do it. I read a book called 30 Days, I think is what it's called. It was by Russell Brunson. He basically interviewed all his like top performing clients on how everything was taken away from them. These are multimillionaires. Like everything was taken away. What would they do to get back to a million dollars? And all of them, it was fascinating to read through all of their ideas because every one of them, their plan was to have conversations with people. This idea is that they all had a plan to be having conversations with people and showing them how they get out, making powerful invitations. And they did it at scale. So they did it like in Facebook groups to their private Facebook group, to other people's Facebook groups, to their Instagram, to LinkedIn. They just had all these ideas of creating powerful conversations with people. It was interesting to read it because I realized like, I don't know if you guys have watched either you were on the call or you watched the replay of last week's call about the proper use of the law of attraction being about service brings our clients to us. And our action brings us closer to our clients. So part of that is an initiating type of relationship where we're talking about the calls, where we're talking about what we have to offer. And a lot of times I think we want people to magically find our content and stumble on our consult calling and book it because they just deeply resonated with us, which happens. But I would never wait for that if I wanted to get fully booked. And this is my solution for that is creating valuable coaching experiences with people because that would be the foundation of people who would end up becoming my clients. Not all of them would, but some of them for sure would be at least interested. Kaylin said the difference between the two calls is how sold on coaching the person is before they sign up for a call. A consult would be someone who reaches out to you interested in coaching. A breakthrough is for someone who might not know they need coaching, but could decide they want it after they had a taste of the experience. Yes. And so if I'm starting from zero, I would do a lot of the calls where they get to experience a breakthrough. Maybe they ask me about coaching. Maybe I don't. That's not the point of the call. And then I would sprinkle in calls to action where it's like, if you want to talk about one-on-one coaching, let's schedule a consultation call. I think what I see in the industry, a lot of people are like, sign up for a consultation call. And everyone's like, I don't know what that is, but it sounds like a sales call. No, thank you. And then we don't get any traction. So I think this idea, like I said, if I started from scratch, having these types of calls, the point, this is a slower approach. I will say this is not about getting rich overnight, but this is about building relationships with people who trust you for the long run. I've had people that I had consults calls years ago that they were a no, and that's okay. And now they're in the matrix or now we're working together one-on-one. So if you're playing the long game, I think these kinds of ideas work really well. I think if you have to sign a client to pay your bills, we have to go back to square one, which is how do we need nothing? That can be a hard pill to swallow. In the beginning, I worked a different job to make money because I didn't want to need my clients to say yes for me to be able to provide for my family. And so part of that needing nothing is to take a real look at what you need and fill those needs so that you can bring service to your business so you can say in integrity. That was always really important to me. Not that you can't sign a client today by saying, work with me one-on-one. But if I have anything but data to say, it doesn't usually work like that, right? Usually one-on-one is more of a experience where they're nurtured. In fact, I have a client who mostly signs through ad. I don't run ads, but she does. And what's interesting is if people get on the ad and then they immediately book the consult, they either don't show or they're almost always a no. 
And we were talking about this. It's because they didn't have this like nurturing experience where they understood what you did, understood your character, understood what coaching is. And so I think it's okay if it takes a little bit of time. If you think about the garden metaphor, we're always planting seeds. And eventually, if you plant seeds for a long period of time, which is how I feel like my business was growing, there will come a day where all of a sudden you keep planting, but the plants that you've planted are ready to harvest. And then you harvest every day. And that's like the threshold that I think all coaches want, where it's like you have more inbound inquiries about coaching. You have a wait list but that comes from doing things like this so that you nurture these relationships over time. It's super unsexy. I will say this is not a get rich as a coach overnight. I don't believe in that because I believe in giving people the chance to make a powerful decision to work with you on their timeline. It just makes the whole coaching relationship so much better. I have very few drama with my clients because they went through an incubation period before we ever talked about working together, where they thought about it, studied my work, had a relationship with me. Then when it was go time, it's like, we just have this great relationship. Everything moves at hyperspeed because I didn't need to convince them. So I think it is a slower approach, but the compound effect is incredible if you stick with it. Makes sense someone would want a coffee date before marrying you. And I think that's like the idea of opening a relationship versus closing a sale, right? It's like, Let's just get to know each other if we're a good fit. Let's see if you even like talking to me. And I work with my clients for six months or a year. Let's make sure that we're a good fit for both of us because you're going to see a lot of me. I'm going to see a lot of you. So let's make sure that we like talking. <laughs> I think too, it's easy to feel like if you don't have clients and all of you guys are in different ranges of the spectrum and that's beautiful. If I had zero clients, I think the most uncomfortable thing is to have conversations with real people and to have coaching experiences with real people. So I would make that my top priority. And that looks different, right? It's different than like tweaking the website, making another post or reading personal development or listening to coaching calls. It's a risky action. I wish I wrote this down. There's a psychological term. It's like a way of making decisions. It's a mental model of like, if you have two decisions, pick the one that feels the hardest because that probably will lead you to where you want to go. Exercise is a great example. Is it easy to work out or easy not to work out? It's easy to not work out, but working out makes my life better in the long term. What's the hardest thing to do as a coach is to talk to real people compared to marketing, writing content. And so I want to prioritize that, even though it's way more uncomfortable. What I'm asking you guys to consider isn't super easy. This is not a plug and play framework. This is like real work. It looks like following up with people in the DMs, inviting people that you know to free calls with you, making calls to action about this breakthrough call, this mindset call, this intensive call, this deep dive call, whatever you want to call it, and then tweaking it. So the other part of that strategy that I kind of left you hanging is that I would change it up until I got something that people really wanted. So if I was a relationship coach, I might do a relationship rehab call, a free one-on-one -on -one mindset deep dive for people in struggling relationships. And I would sell it for a week and see what people thought about that. If it worked well, I would keep doing it. If it didn't, I would invent a new call. Like this is literally what I would do to send clients in the beginning. Then I would invent a new call that's like the relationship rehab. It only takes one, how to change everything in your relationship by changing your own mind. And I would just play with different wording, different ideas until my calendar is full of these kinds of conversations. I've heard good things about an assessment audit style call. Yep, those are awesome. And especially like business or entrepreneurs, the assessment, the audit, that word really resonates. When you say sell it for a week, would you change something for these calls or do them for free? 
I've played with both. I think if I was a brand new coach, I would offer it for free because I didn't have the value relationship. People wouldn't recognize me as an expert. Kaylin, for you specifically, you probably could charge something if you wanted to. I think it just depends on what you want out of the call. I don't charge for my consults because I look at it as like, we're going to work together one-on-one at some point. By the time people jump on a console with me, to me, it feels like it's inevitable that we'll eventually work together because of how I structured my business. But if I was brand new, I would make everything for free because I feel like it's more valuable for me to get the experience, to make relationships, and then compound that over time. But if I had experience, I actually was coaching Ashley in the Matrix, I think on Wednesday. She's going to offer like a health audit type, like a hormone assessment. That works really well for her niche because people who have hormone imbalances or struggles, they might just need one call and they might make a few simple tweaks and they're feeling better. And so she added that to her offer suite as a way to support her clients. And so she would charge for that kind of intensive consult. So you can play around with it. And like I said, I would play around with a very structured, cool title of a call versus like if you're interested in working with me, let's schedule a consultation call. Those are two very different experiences. The intention is to talk about working together and what that could be like. This one is like a relationship rehab call. It's different. I'm really focused on getting you a win or a solution on that call. And if you ask me what we're working together, that's great. I've told this story before, but this was in 2018, I think, 2019. I can't remember what year. I offered this two-hour intensive coaching call for free. And it was intense for me. But I laid the foundation of many relationships. What's interesting about that is I learned so much as a coach about how to hold the vision that like it was very much worth it for me to do that. And I think that's like the balance is like, where am I at in my business where it's worth it for me to do free calls versus I need to start kind of monitoring my time because I'm starting to get fully booked or I have other things going on. I have to weigh it out in my mind. That's kind of how I think about that. I think for me, it's about giving people the experience because in my understanding, I want, especially because I work with people longer term, I want them to really feel what it would be like. What better way for them to feel it than like really giving it to them? So that's my thoughts. Any other question about that? Yeah, Sarah. So I work with women who are married to physicians. And so I consider myself very much a relationships coach. And I feel confident in my coaching ability. Like I have a solid self-concept that I can help these women, but I don't feel as confident in my ability to sell. And as you were talking about just serving them, just like giving them a relationship reset call. So I recently moved from one-on-one to small groups and I have a lot more time coaching so many of them at once, right? And I would love to coach more of them and fill up my group. But I think there's like this disconnect between like, oh, she's helpful on Instagram or in the emails, but I don't really get what this whole thing is about. I don't want to have this awkward conversation where she tries to pitch me. So do you recommend I just like to my email list and Instagram followers, I just want to show you the power of coaching. Talking about my program, I just want to show you that it only takes one to change your relationship and just fill my calendar with that. Permission granted, like if you don't love it, you don't have to do it again. But I think it's worth a try because I think this is what's so hard about selling coaching, right? It's different than like going to Amazon and buying a book or buying like a vase for my house. I know what I want. Mm -hmm. People aren't doing that with coaching because it's hard to conceptualize what it's like. So it's like the more that you can help them conceptualize it and experience it in this like teaser what we would call like a teaser session, right? Where they like, it's not theory. It's not words on a paper. It's you really coaching them, giving them experience. And like, now it becomes a question of like, do you want to keep working together? Do you want to keep doing the work? Do you want more of this? Versus like, here's this theoretical thing I can help you with in this theoretical way. 
it's thousands of dollars. It's just like them feeling it. And they're like, oh my gosh, how do I get more of this? Or what else can we talk about? And you kind of paint the vision of what your group is. And then they do want more and be like, okay, if you do want more, you can sign up and I can talk to you about the program or whatever. So it's totally, it's just in service, the whole thing. I mean, there's different strategies. You could play around with pitching your program at the end or, you know, maybe you do a small group free call, whatever. Like you could play around with both. I think for me, we did so much work today. I know that we talked about this and this and this. And it's not like relationships are built in a vacuum, right? You're going to go back to your normal life. And this Mm -hmm. is why I created programs that are longer term to walk with you during different seasons, different family events. As you're starting to hold boundaries or say, I want to do this thing, he's going to have thoughts. And that's why coaching over a long period of time is the most powerful. And I like to joke, I'm not just trying to sell you into something. Like, I really believe this. I've seen this in my own life. Here's a story about this client that, 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 you know, where it's like, this is why the power of coaching to me compounds the longer you do it. I would say something like that. Okay. Can I ask you one question that's had to do with the three people that we are? First off, I'm sorry for your loss, your grandpa. So only coach Sarah shows up on the consult. And I can do that with my groups too. Like it doesn't matter what I'm going through. I can help you with your marriage, right? Like no matter what's going on in my personal life. But like where's the balance? For example, right now we are possibly going to be like moving across the country. And like a lot of things are like in play right now. And I am trying to like balance the emotions that I have about that and not just be like, well, I'm not, well, I'm just going to stay in bed. I know if my husband got the job and we decided to take it, like, will you walk me through like what that might look like? I realize I'm thinking initially two choices. I'm going to stay in bed all day or I'm going to just completely ignore my and gaslight myself. That's what my brain is thinking. So I think it depends on what you want. Different seasons of my life that like I wanted the business growth. So I was willing to kind of put in the work. And there's been seasons of my life that I'm like, just want to spend time with my family and focus on myself because that's what I want. And that's like the harder question is, what do you want? Yeah, I think I want to be gentle with myself and I want my business to continue to grow. So what would that look like? It would look like coming to this call because I knew it was going to help. And then it would look like being realistic about what else I want to do and giving myself space Mm -hmm. to process the fear and uncertainty and all that stuff that is coming up. So this is where I like to think of business like a faucet because this is helpful for me. When I was pregnant with my third baby, I kind of like turned the faucet down when I was like eight months pregnant. And I was like, I think I'm just going to do the bare minimum, kind of like a drip. Like I'm going to post when I have an idea. I'm mostly going to rest and like get my nursery ready and stuff like that. And what's interesting is after I had her, like when I checked in with myself about what I really wanted, I was like, I want to turn the faucet back on. I'm ready to roll. Like I'm ready. I did. I turned the faucet back on my business and it's because that's what I wanted. And so I think asking yourself that question, you know how to turn the faucet on. And that can change day to day. You know what I mean? Some days you're like, I'm ready to roll. I'm going to create a podcast and you know, make a post. And I feel really good about that. And the next day you'd be like, I'm tired. I want a nap. I'm going to keep the faucet dripping. Like it's not like I'm turning off my business, but I'm in control of what I want to create. I think part of the mind drama is that then you can't beat yourself up if what you created was rest. What you chose was slowing down. You can't be like, my business isn't working. It's like, no, no, I consciously chose that. That's okay. Now that's really helpful. Thank you so much. Any other questions? Yeah, Lisa. So one thing that I've been thinking about is I love the idea of just like offering a value call, mainly because it's just like, I love it. Just love whatever I get to like coach or talk to people. 
but I have a deep dive that I want to market moving forward that is like 90 minutes. And it's already like that kind of entry offer that can lead to like a longer relationship or a group or, you know, something like that. So I have been thinking about like maybe offering like a 30 minute quicker kind of like assessment style. As I was saying like audit style, because mm-hmm. I don't want to cannibalize the other 90 minutes deep dive. Like, yeah. I don't want to be confusing to people. If you have any idea on how to not cannibalize. This is so good. Thank you for asking this question. I think the timing matters. So I'm going to give you an example of when I did my like level 10 opportunity call. I was not selling one-on-one. It would not make sense to be like, you can talk to me for 30 minutes for free or pay me tens of thousands of dollars. Pick one. So I released my need to sell one-on-one at that time. The point really was to serve people in this 30-minute call. And I was detached from them becoming clients. It was me planting seeds. I think that's the secret. So if you do these 30-minute calls, it really has to be like, I'm gardening. I'm building relationships. Yeah, I mean, that, that would one. be a big part of why I'm doing them, for sure. But I guess like where my mind goes is like, I really just want to sell this entry-level offer. Then that's when I would start with it. The 90-minute paid yeah. for so I was thinking because, in my mind, maybe an intro call like this, that is like roughly on the same topic. I don't feel attached to that, but like, I'm thinking if I do both, how can I not make them sound like the same you were saying? Like, oh, you can talk to me for free about this topic or you can have the deep dive on yeah, this topic. Yeah, I think timing is what you're going to want to play with. Is like, I wouldn't sell both at the same time. I'd pick one. And yeah. maybe you sell the 30 minute and then on that 30 minute call, you're like, I have this like kind of like secret menu. I have a 90 minute deep dive. It costs blank. If you're interested, we can continue the conversation. I mean, in my mind, I didn't want to make it like a secret menu. I actually wanted to make it like very visible. So yeah. I guess like uh, one other idea that I had was after a quiz that I have, putting like a Bonjoro or like one of those videos at the end of like each results page and people like they can ask a question about their result, for example. And so that seemed like an easy entry way into maybe a free conversation. And that's going to be a different topic. So I'm just playing on how to like have these like free without having too many of them. Just time wise, it just doesn't make sense. But yeah, I get that you're saying like selling both at the same time is just confusing. I'm so glad you brought these up because now I'm having other ideas. The other thing that I would do is if I was selling this free call, let's say a mindset breakthrough call or something that was very specific, I would limit the amount that were available for people to book. Because whether we like urgency and scarcity or not, it works. It helps people make a decision. So what I would do is like, I have five available and once they're gone, they're gone. Maybe in the future, I have a different kind of call, right? Like a relationship rehab call or a coaching intensive or whatever I want to call it. But the idea is like, do you want one of these book now? And then when they're gone, they're gone. I might have different kinds available in the future. You might play with that. I think the secret is to like, try it out there so you can get some data. I love the quiz idea. I was thinking, you know, like they even have these programs like video ask asynchronous videos, you know, where it's almost like you could even do a consult that's not live necessarily, right? Like somebody could ask a question through a video or an form and then you could reply and have this back and forth, which doesn't like need a calendar for it to happen. So that was where I had this idea for the quiz. This is kind of more of like an advanced thing, but I think when you have lots of touch points with a client right? Like a group or like you're talking about back and forth or something. The consult is less of a convincing or like sales call and more of like a confirmation call. 
this is what it looks like. This is when we can start. This is how you work with me. This is when I'm available in Voxer. This is like all the things. This is what you get. This is what I like, you know, what I mean. What's your address? Like it said, you would get like that kind of onboarding instead of more of like a sales call. And so I like the idea of having this back and forth with people. Okay. Awesome. Great. Okay. Other consult tidbits. This is the things like I didn't know how to fit in to the frameworks that I already shared. (laughs) So my first one is to share stories where possible. When my client has a question, I really like to tell them a story about another client because it's way better than trying to convince them that coaching is magical. So it's like, yeah, I had a client kind of like you who we worked together for six months. She had a similar belief, right? We worked together on that belief so that she could have a new self-concept or whatever. These are the things that she did. Do I know that you're going to create that? I don't know, but this is what we worked on together. Does that make sense? And so I like to use stories because one, when you have factual proof, like when my clients work with me, this is what happens. Not me trying to convince them that I'm a good coach. It's not even about me being a good coach. It's like, this is what my clients do when they work with me. My clients are awesome and you are awesome. So this is therefore a possibility for you too. And so when I have to decide between telling them how coaching works versus showing them with a story, I pick a story every time. And I think this releases me from being like, well, I'm an amazing coach and all these things. It's like, I just have undeniable proof because I have client results. And so I choose stories. The other thing that I like to say that I mentioned earlier is like, this is what I see as possible for you. I think sometimes they need to hear that from us because what they really want to know is, do you believe in me? And when you can really confer that, like, yes, I do. And it's not me just trying to sell you. It's me really saying what I see in you. That level of trust is very powerful for them to feel. I wouldn't lie. But like, this is not permission stuff to be like, I believe you can make up a bajillion dollars in seven weeks if you work with me. Like, that's not what it is. I think when you really share a believable possibility and they can feel that you really believe it, I feel like that's the foundation of trust and your work together. So I like to say, like, this is what I see as possible for you. I mentioned this on my Instagram. I think it's funny because it sounds silly, but it's true. When people tell me that they want to work with me, but they're like, I don't know if now's the time. I'm like considering it. I'm like, well, can I just tell you something like selfishly? I would love to coach you. I know that you have to go through your process, but if you're ever ready, I'm here for you. And I've told that to multiple people because I don't want to hide that I would love to coach them. I like saying that because I think one, they know my intentions. Yes, I would like to sign you as a client. I'm not going to pretend I don't. But I also give you the space like it's on your timeline. I trust you. So that's kind of like what I say to people when they say, I can't wait to work with you or like you're on my vision board or whatever. That's what I like to say. When people tell me I'm expensive, I agree with them. I think that this takes people for surprise because like, wow, like I didn't expect it to be that high. I'm like, yeah, I know it's expensive. I don't try to like thought work my way around that. So one of the things I like to do is like explain why it's expensive. Because when people have unanswered questions on our calls with us, they won't say yes, right? Because they still have these questions, even if they aren't able to articulate them. And one of the questions that people have is, why are you so expensive? And they might not ask that, but they have it. Especially if you're working with, my friend Katie Borland calls them civilians. If you're working with civilians, if you're working with people who aren't coaches, they're going to wonder, well, I could see a therapist for bucks an hour with my insurance. I could talk to someone on better help for free for a month or whatever. Why is it so expensive to work with you? And so this is what place where I like to share stories. And instead of trying to be like, well, it's not expensive or like, well, the value is just so insane or whatever. It's like, I agree with them. Yes, it's expensive. Do you mind if I share why? 
and you have to have your list of reasons. And I kind of want to tell you some of them, but I also want you to really consider this for yourself. If you don't know why you're expensive, that's something that you want to work on and look at. Because I think when you can come up with reasons on why you're expensive and you like your reasons, it becomes a very powerful moment for you and your client. And so I think thinking through, why are you expensive? Why are you okay with that? Why is it a good thing? One of mine is like, I'm not the coach that you come to for like a quick fix. My clients spend six months, a year, years with me because their life changes fundamentally. So it's like, yeah, it's expensive because we do life changing and business changing work together. And you could say something, whether you're a relationship coach, whether you're a weight loss coach, whether you're a health coach, it's like, oh, yeah, I'm expensive because this will change your life. I'm not interested in like the light stuff. We go deep. We do real work. And I want my clients super committed and I want to be committed. Those kinds of reasons when you say them with conviction, like your client hears that. So I like to just be like, yep, I'm expensive. This is why. When I get stuck with a client or on a consult, I look for where that's showing up for me. This has been probably the best thing I've ever done to grow myself as a coach. When my client gets stuck on something and I don't know how to coach them powerfully on it, I'm like, where is this showing up for me? Where have I not been able to overcome my own thoughts about this? Because this is where I'm stuck. When my client in on consults, it's no different. It's like when they're stuck on something and I don't, I'm not able to articulate something as well as I wanted, or I'm not able to share a story about something where I overcame it or helped someone else overcome it. I know that this is my work. And this is why I think consults are valuable whether they sign or not. I've learned so much from consults of people telling me no or of people saying yes and then ghosting me like that happens too along the way that I've become a powerful coach because I was willing to really look at myself and where it was showing up for me. So I'm not afraid of looking. And I think if you can do that, like humbly, without ego, you're going to see places where you can improve that will make you a better coach. And that's the whole purpose, right? We want to be the best coaches we can be. We don't just want to make money. I mean, that's part of it. I feel like part of the industry like that I want to improve is like people honing their craft over time, that we don't just know how to make money. Because all these people talk about, like you see these horror stories where they like, invested in a coach and it was like not great because they actually didn't have good coaching skills. They had good marketing skills. I think we want both. We want to be great marketers and we want to be great coaches. And so look for places where you can grow from the people that you get stuck coaching. On. This is where I've gone to my coach as well, where if I get stuck with a client, I go get coaching on it. And so I recommend you do the same. It will serve you in the long run. The last thing I'll say is that no's are a part of the process, but don't expect them. That is a paradox in and of itself, right? Yes, you're going to get no's. But if you show up on a consult expecting a no, you will subconsciously say things that lead to a no. Because you're not going to really believe in what's possible for them. And I think when you really believe in what you have to offer and what your client can create in this world, ideally, we have no limiting beliefs about our client, right? They come to you with something and you're like, 100%, I believe in you. I know how to help you get there. You could charge whatever you want in it, right? Because they could come to you and say, I want to make a billion dollars. And you're absolutely, I believe you. Let's do it and mean it and have the tools and the skill sets to make that happen. You could charge $999 million, right? Because does that make sense? It's like your valuable so there. I think about Tony Robbins is an example a lot because he like charges a million dollars for his one on coaching and has a weightless and all these things. It's like the value that he creates. He has unshakable belief in himself and his clients. If people tell him no, he's like, okay, you just obviously don't understand me. And so you don't want to expect a no, but when it comes, it's okay. You can be at peace. And so I think that's like the paradox. Show up with full beliefs that this person could be your client and thrive 
if the no comes, don't make it mean anything about you. It's just part of the process. I love consults. That's the other thing that I think really changed for me is I started to love meeting people and talking about what's possible. Sometimes I'm jealous of coaches who work with people who aren't coaches, right? Who don't experience this kind of work all the time because their breakthroughs are so profound. Like I remember when I first found coaching, my breakthroughs were like, oh my gosh, like I just changed my life. Everything's different now. It's rare that I have that anymore, right? Everything's different. I'm looking for like the nuanced differences, but those kinds of powerful, mind-blowing things happened a long time ago. And so consults are our chance to share this gift. So I love them. I'm not nervous about them. I'm like, I could change someone's life. I could change people's paradigm of what they think is possible. That is so cool. And so I think when we approach it that way, the pressure's off. And it's like, I want to do more of them. I want to have more conversations. I think one of the other things is to keep our ego in check. Because like one of the things I struggle with sometimes is like, oh, like I'm beyond selling one-on-one. Why is that thought there? I like should have a bigger wait list. My wait list should say yes. All these weird thoughts that when I look at what that creates in my business, it is not what I want. And so I think part of our work too is to kind of notice our entitlement thoughts. Like people should say yes. People should want to work with me. That doesn't serve us. And so I think part of our work is to monitor that part of our brain. It's like, of course, clients should want to work with me. This is something that like I'm so advanced in my coaching that like I shouldn't have to sell it. What does that lead to is like not selling the coaching. And so I think that's part of our work too, is like noticing the thoughts that have any creep of entitlement and go back to service. That this isn't about us. This is about someone we could help. I'm not entitled to anything, no matter how far I've grown in my business, right? I'm not entitled to it. I'm here to serve. I'm here to give. So those are my thoughts. I think consults are awesome. It's an opportunity. I think it's a little bit of a responsibility. And I hope that this helps you. That is all the content I have. Are there any questions that I can answer for consults, closing sales, marketing, getting clients about what we talked about today? Okay, thanks for showing up today. Go sign some clients and I'll see you tomorrow. Bye.